Good morning. My name is Sabrina. Today's reading comes from Ruth, chapter 2, verses 14 through 23. Please follow along in your own Bibles or simply listen as the scriptures are read. Hear the word of the Lord. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some of this bread and dip your morsel in the sour wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he heaped up for her some parched grain. She ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she got up to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, Let her glean even among the standing sheaves, and do not reproach her. You must also pull out some handfuls for her from the bundles and leave them for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. She picked it up and came into the town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gleaned. Then she took out and gave her what was left over after she herself had been satisfied. Her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, saying, The name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi said, also said to her, The man is a relative of ours, one of our nearest kin. Then Ruth, the Moabite, said, He even said to me, Stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is better, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, otherwise someone might bother you in another field. So she stayed close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to be here with you all this morning. Many thanks to Pastor Matt for asking me to come along and preach from one of my absolute all-time favorite books of the Bible the Old Testament book of Ruth. It never ceases to amaze me that there can be so much of real value for us as believers contained in just four short chapters. That's all there is to this book. Uh, And it's a really relatively simple storyline. But that just shows that you don't have to be big and dramatic, right, to be effective. So a little bit about me before we begin. Uh, I know Matt's already mentioned a few things, but again, my name's Tracy. Uh, I am a licensed uh, covenant pastor. Uh, Until Christmas, I was serving as the pastor of a 135-year-old church out in Orange, Massachusetts, which is about two hours west of here. So they're at the opposite end of the life cycle, right, from Haverhill Commons. Uh, But since December, I've been actually enjoying going to a church on Sunday and not having to do a thing. (laughs) It's It's been a really nice change, I have to say. I'm from England originally, in case you couldn't tell that already, Um, but I've lived here in Massachusetts uh, for 20 years now uh, with my husband, Tim. He's lurking at the back there. He came with me today. Uh, And we have have three children who all live in New England. Um, I grew up in uh, what I would uh, probably most accurately call an anti-Christian home. I didn't find my way into the faith until I was nearly 30. And for a long time, I thought my non-Christian background was a negative thing. Uh, But I've actually come to see it as a positive, because I'm able to engage with people who are skeptical about Christianity, or have had bad experiences with the church, 
or with individual Christians, uh, because I've, I've been where they are. Uh, I've probably at some point thought all the things they think about God and his church. And so in the cultural season that we're in right now, um, I've actually come to think that my experience is a, is a really helpful one. Anyway, that's enough about me. We'll be hanging out afterwards if you, if you should want to know more. I don't know why you might, but if you do, um, I'll have a chance to talk then. Again, very grateful to Matt for extending this invitation to preach this morning and to join with all of you in worshiping the Lord. So let's take a few minutes now, quieten our minds, still our hearts, open ourselves to whatever it might be that the Lord is wanting us to understand from his word this morning. We'll have a few moments of silence and then I'll pray. Holy God, we thank you for this opportunity to be together this morning and to hear from your word. May what we do not know be revealed to us, what is lacking be made complete in us, what we do already know be confirmed in us. Be with us now, Father, as we draw near to you. We pray this in Jesus' name and in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Have you ever felt like you were all out of hope? The plans you had, your dreams and desires just hadn't worked out for whatever reason. And you found yourself at a place where you were looking into the future, into your future, and just seeing a blank space in front of you like the road ahead was going endlessly uphill as far as you could see. I had been experiencing something like that until very recently. Things just were not going well. I, I was kind of late going to seminary, compared to a lot of others, certainly. Uh, it was very much a second or perhaps even a third career. But I believed God had, was calling me to ministry in his church, and I wanted to be faithful to his call no matter how strange or unlikely it seemed. So off I went to seminary, everything was good, and I came out full of hope. I was just brimming with it. And at first, things seemed to go really well. I found a denomination that felt like a good fit theologically. That, that can be a challenge. I found a church that was trying to grow and develop and that was more than happy for me to come on board. They were clear they couldn't pay me right then, but they were fully expecting to grow, and with a bit more growth, they assured me, would come a paycheck. No worries. I think anyone who's been part of a church plant, some of you here this morning, uh, will perhaps recognize that situation. Anyway, it's very common in the church planting world. However, instead of growing, the church actually began to decline. Every week, there seemed to be another person, another family who didn't show up. When new people would come, they'd come once, they'd come twice. We'd start to get excited, thinking things were beginning to turn around. But then they wouldn't come back again. And finally, it got to the point where the church 
was unsustainable and had to close. A bit of a blow to my hopes for ministry, to say the least. So a few months later, an opportunity came for me to serve as pastor of another church. This one was very established. There's a photo of it. This one was very established in its community. It had had some struggles, but there were, there were a core group of, number, of members who remained, and they were committed to helping the church not only to bounce back, but to grow into something even better and stronger than it had been before. This replenished my hope tank, let me tell you. There were lots of opportunities in the community, lots of ways the church could get plugged in and could be engaged, could really do kingdom work, bring some slivers of light into a place that had a, a good amount of darkness going on in it. So I was excited. Even though the position wasn't everything I'd hoped for, there were lots of opportunities, and I was willing to invest myself, and I did. But that ministry didn't pan out either. The church's finances turned out to be in much worse shape than I had been made aware of, and so the pastor's contract could not be renewed. They were sorry. They were very sorry, but there was nothing they could do to keep me on. Friends, this was not what I expected to happen to me when I followed God's call into ministry. My bright, shiny hope was well and truly tarnished. I began to think maybe I'd been wrong about my calling. Maybe this wasn't what God really wanted me to do. Perhaps I'd got it all wrong. <clears throat> then, weirdly, and completely out of the blue, a postcard arrived in the mail advertising a retreat designed specifically for people in ministry who were struggling, people like me, who were unsure of their direction, who'd lost their bearings, or perhaps had been going through a particularly tough season of ministry and were beginning to wonder how much longer they could go on. Essentially, it was a retreat designed for those who had lost their hope. With only a few places available, I was sure I wouldn't get in, but I did. Given where it was and the need for flights to get there and all the other costs that are always associated with events of this kind, I wasn't sure I'd be able to afford to attend, but it turned out to be fully funded. I began to get the feeling that God really wanted me to go on this retreat. Now, I wish I could tell you that something spectacular, amazing, out of the world happened at this retreat that completely restored my hope in an instant and set me firmly on the road to happiness. It didn't. I spent a week looking at some mountains. Uh, I read some books. I talked to some people. Nothing dramatic happened to restore me, but I was restored. Because at this very undramatic retreat, a seed of hope was able to be replanted within me. Why was that? Because I felt seen. 
I felt like the people at the retreat, and yes, God himself actually cared about my situation, about how I was feeling. That blackout curtain that had been pulled across my future in ministry began to be pulled back just a little. And the road ahead, while not yet completely level, at least didn't look like quite as much of an uphill slog as it had before. We know from our reading in the book of Ruth so far that Naomi and Ruth are two women who have been walking a very, very uphill road. They've both experienced profound losses. And for Naomi, at least, this seems to have blotted out her whole perception and understanding of herself. She's no longer Naomi, she says. Naomi was a wife. Naomi was a mother. Naomi had a future. Now, she's someone else. She's something else. She's Mara, grief-stricken, bitter, hopeless. Mara does not feel seen. And what about Ruth? Well, we don't get a glimpse into her internal dialogue. What we do see, though, is her clinging almost desperately to her mother-in-law, which suggests, perhaps, that she too can't see much of a future ahead for herself, certainly not if she stays behind in Moab. In our text this morning, though, that we just heard, we see small signs that might, just might suggest that the road that they've been on is beginning to level out. Ruth has gone to find them food to eat. She's gone to glean barley. Trusting that the owner of the field and his workers will be following the Jewish law, right, which requires them to leave some stalks around the edges for poor, desperate people like Ruth herself to glean from. In doing that small action of going out, she is seen by the owner of the field himself, by Boaz. And not only does he see her, he knows who she's related to. In Ruth 2, the first verse, in verse 14, he provides her with lunch. He sits with her while she eats. And then he tells his workers to leave even more stalks behind while they're threshing so that Ruth will be able to collect more for herself and her mother-in-law. She ends up with a whole ephah, which is about two-thirds of a bushel. It's a lot of grain. By the end of the day, Ruth has so much grain that not only will she and Naomi be able to eat that night, they'll have enough for several days and nights to come. And when Naomi, when Ruth tells Naomi whose field she's been working in that day, who it was who had been so generous to them, Naomi begins to think that maybe she's been seen as well. Because Boaz is Elimelech's kinsman, her husband's relative. Perhaps Naomi, the woman who had hope for the future, has not completely vanished after all. 
her relationship to Boaz through Elimelech, her claim on his help and support has been acknowledged by the way he treated her, Naomi, through her Moabite daughter-in-law, Ruth. In the barren ground of physical, mental, emotional, and yes, spiritual poverty, a seed of hope has been planted. The food, the grain that Ruth brings home that Boaz made sure she was able to collect is a sign, perhaps, a suggestion of abundance to come. Although at this moment in time, they don't know what will happen in the future. Ruth has been seen. Naomi has been seen. And there is a seed of hope where there was no hope before. Maybe God has not forgotten them. This theme of a person feeling abandoned, feeling forgotten, and then being seen by God shows up in multiple places throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament book of Genesis, we have the story of Hagar. You're probably familiar with it. Hagar was an Egyptian slave girl, and she belonged to Sarai, who was Abram's wife. And she is given by Sarai to her husband as a concubine. When Hagar becomes pregnant, she is treated harshly by Sarai, and she runs away out into the wilderness. She is desperate and alone. But Hagar is seen by the Lord, and he sends an angel to her, and he tells her all the good things that are in store for her and for her lineage through the son that she is going to bear. Hagar even names God El Roy, the God who sees because of this experience. Another person who is seen by God is the prophet Elijah. He's being hunted by King Ahab's wife, Queen Jezebel. She's a little bit angry with Elijah because he has brought the fire of God down on all her pagan prophets and wiped them all out. She didn't like that very much. And so Elijah is fleeing for his life. And he's so distraught, he's so frightened that he wants to die. But God sees Elijah. And again, he sends an angel with food and water to restore him. He calls Elijah to a special mountain called Mount Horeb. And there Elijah has this personal encounter with God. At the end of which, he's actually given his next assignment, and it's a big one. He is to go and anoint the kings and the prophets who will do the Lord's work in the future. God saw Hagar, he saw Elijah, like he sees Naomi and Ruth. In the New Testament, of course, we have Jesus, who, who always seems to be seeing those people who are invisible to everybody else. The poor, the weak, the physically disabled in some way, or mentally afflicted. Several times we find him seeing widows like Naomi and Ruth, who are the ultimate invisible class of people. He sees the poor widow giving her last two pennies as an offering 
in the temple. And he actually holds her up as a model of devotion. He sees the heartbroken widow in the town of Nain and raises her son from the dead so he can restore him back to her. He sees his friends, Martha and Mary, they're not widows, but they're going to be without support when their brother Lazarus dies. They could very well end up in a situation very much like that of Ruth and Naomi. He sees them. And he restores their brother to life. Yes, there's a bigger thing happening in that particular resurrection. But the smaller thing is there too. Jesus, God incarnate, seeing the women and caring for them. Our God is a God who sees, who cares, and who wants us to have hope. What are we to do in our barren seasons? When life is not working out as we might have liked it to, when our hope, if not extinguished entirely, is very much on the ropes. As Matt mentioned, today is Mother's Day, of course, a day when many women, surprisingly, considering it's a day of recognition, can actually feel themselves unseen. Right? Believe it or not. For those that are mothers, they can actually begin to feel that that's all they are. That their former selves have completely vanished. Right? I know I felt that way when my children were young. Like the Tracy I'd always known didn't exist anymore. I was just mum. I was just mum. For women without children who may have not been able to have them, can be a day when very painful feelings are stirred up. Or for women who are childless by choice, they may feel they are being judged negatively for that decision. I think churches can sometimes be quite bad about this. Without meaning to, we're often child-focused in ways that are unhelpful for those that don't have children. I was in a church the first time that was mentioned to me. This poor woman came up and said, could you, could you dial down the Mother's Day stuff, please? It's a difficult day for some of us. Um, and I'm not sure anybody in leadership had ever really considered that that might be so, sadly. As Matt mentioned, too, there are also those, women and men, who might find the day difficult because they did not have good relationships with their own mothers. On a day celebrating mothers, they can feel conflicted, torn, guilty, and their pain unseen on such a day. Where do we find seeds of hope when our path feels like a long uphill slog, when things aren't working out, when we feel on holidays or any other day, obscured, neglected, or unseen. So I'd like to suggest three things this morning that that might help, that might help. The first and the most important is that we try to really know deep down, inside, down, 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 in our innermost being, 
that God does see us. He is El Roy. He is the God who sees. We are never obscured from his view, even though it seems that way at times. At Hymn of Lament this morning, um, the continual the continual need to lament. We can all feel at times like we're unseen. Our world is unseen. But he sees us. He sees us. In Psalm 18, the psalmist writes of God, he delivered me because he delighted in me. And I, I love that. He delights in me and he delights in all of you. What a blessing in the dark seasons in our life, the heavy seasons, the barren seasons, to remember that God delights in us. He made us. He knows us. He sees us. He delights in us. So first, we are seen. Second, I suggest that like Naomi and Ruth, we look for a seed of hope in the small things of life, the small connections, in the kind acts of others, in the care that they show for us, in relationships, all sorts of relationships, not just those we have with the people related to us by blood or those we feel particularly close to. Notice, find hope in every positive interaction. See them as the gifts of God that they are. Third, and I personally find this the hardest one, try not to look ahead. Grasp onto your seed of hope and let it nurture you. Let it restore you today. Tomorrow will have its own worries, as Jesus told us. Don't engage with those worries before you have to. If we think back to our text, Naomi and Ruth don't jump up and immediately start making big plans for the future the minute their tummies are filled up with the grain from Boaz's field. They don't rush off after Boaz trying to pin him down about how he's going to take care of them, what he's going to do to get their situation all sorted out. What do we see? Ruth is going to continue to glean for the rest of the harvest. That's her plan. Naomi tells her to keep herself safe by staying near to Boaz's female workers in the fields. Naomi's just concerned about Ruth's safety. And then it says they continue to live together in Bethlehem. That's it. They just continue to live together. Things will change for them, but right now, in the moment of our text, this is enough. I think there's a real lesson for us in that because we moderns, we're always looking so far ahead. We're always reaching out. What's next? What's next? What's next? Find your hope. Find the seed of your hope today. Appreciate it today. Thank God for it today. And trust him with the future. He sees you. He sees you. 
When the postcard for the retreat arrived in my mailbox, I could so easily have just put it into the paper recycling and forgot about it. I could have not bothered to apply. Or even once notified I had a place, I could have chosen not to go. And yet that retreat, that simple, undramatic retreat, replanted a seed of hope in me. It restored my faith that, yes, God really wanted me to be doing this for a living. And even now, several months later, things aren't sorted out. Like Naomi and Ruth, I don't know what the future will hold, but the seed of hope is there. It's been planted and watered. It's growing a little bit, day by day. And I move forward trusting in God's provision, trusting that he will work things out according to his will and in ways that are good for me because I'm his child whom he delights in. So friends, if your road ahead is uphill right now, may you be able to look for and find a small seed today that will restore your hope and begin to bring you back onto a level path. Let's pray.